Welcome to Startup Stereo, the German Accelerator podcast with and for founders, innovators, and changemakers. Plug into expert tips, experiences, and best practices around scaling, leadership, new work, and much more. My name is Katrin Grunwald. I'm a coach, mentor, and founder of the Globe Team, a consultancy for team and organizational development. I'm happy to be your host for Startup Stereo, a podcast powered by German Accelerator. German Accelerator empowers high-potential German startups to scale globally. Today's guest is Jenny von Podewils, co-founder of Leapsum, a startup providing performance enablement and employee engagement software that supports fast-growing companies such as Spotify, Trivago or Bubble in building high-performing teams and strong company cultures. Jenny currently participates in the German Accelerator New York program with a goal to expand Leapsum to the US market. In today's conversation, we talk about feedback. Feedback as rocket fuel for learning, feedback on a feedback, and what receiving feedback has to do with going to the dentist. We also talk about company culture and the role that founders play in shaping it. Towards the end of the conversation, Jenny shares her recommendations for successful distributed teams. Great insights, not only in times of Corona. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Jenny. Hi, it's great to be here. Happy to have you here. And let's look at you as an entrepreneur. And uh, we have many interesting topics to talk about today. So I'd love for our listeners to get to know you better. If you could just give us some introduction. Who are you and what does Leapsum do? All right. Um, I'm originally from Berlin. Um, I'm an economist by training and um, both my co-founder Kayatan and me have actually worked for um, almost a decade in the, in the tech industry before um, uh, founding Leapsum. And um, sort of like a striking experience for me was working for a tech company that went through a phase of rapid scaling and seeing how the alignment, so everyone having a good understanding of what we're trying to achieve together, how that got lost, how the speed of learning individually and as a team also like significantly deteriorated and also how the organizational health and culture really sort of like went down during that time of rapid scaling. And we've both made this really striking experience during those times of rapid growth, which is really sad if it isn't done intentionally, like the alignment, the speed of learning, the culture of startups can very much um, or, grow, or, or sort of scale-ups can, can very much um Deteriorate, and I think that's really frustrating with the people working in companies. And it's also actually, um, and that's why I think it's also like a very important topic for founders. It's actually something that can um, impede or hinder the success of your company if you don't do these things in an intentional way. And what we do with Leapsum is ha actually help companies build alignment, help companies set up good structures for continuous um, and structured learning, development, performance management, and help companies to actually monitor and manage their organizational health and culture. And we do that with software. So Leapsum is a software service product for people enablement. And it's basically a modern toolkit 
that does these things I've just mentioned by helping companies set up feedback processes, set up OKRs, set up um, surveys, pulse surveys, and personalized learning in one end-to-end system. Yeah, end-to-end, I think, is a, is a good keyword because I know that myself coming from an HR background, it's really a broad variety of topics where you support um, people and culture in organizations. And I know um, that you call it the people enablement ecosystem. So I'd love to dive deeper into that to find out more how, for example, if I'm I'm a startup and I'm growing really fast, um, I hear about Leapsum. How can you support me directly, for example, with giving with the topic of feedback? What are things that clients come to you with? Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of different sort of like entry paths, I would call it, um, because different companies have um, slightly different challenges or possibly are just more aware of some of their challenges than some of the other challenges they have. So like a couple of normal entry scenarios we interact with or we deal with is a company, for example, that during a type time of rapid scaling realizes that alignment is going down. So with alignment, I mean having a very clear understanding throughout the company of where do we want to go, what do we need to get there, and who's accountable to contribute what. So for example, we help companies to build up and scale their more modern sort of like alignment or goal systems or OKR systems. For example, that's one methodology, objectives and key results to manage goals that help, can help create alignment. And that's, for example, an entry point where the software can support running these systems um, to set OKRs, to maintain OKRs, to actually see the progress of these OKRs, but then also make sure that you pull through or push through on them uh, through regular check-ins, one-on-one meetings, team meetings, and also actually with processes around feedback to actually know what are we doing well already, what do we need to improve on, and are people actually like aware of their strengths um, or their development areas so they can also like in a much more effective way take ownerships and, uh, ownership and really actually execute these objectives they're accountable for. So that's one entry scenario that's more alignment focused. Another entry scenario is... Um, that we support c- companies that want to build more effective and scalable performance management or I'll rather call it performance enablement and development processes. So we help companies to set up very effective feedback processes. So that could be a mixture of having, for example, a biannual feedback process where you have an element of self-assessment, possibly elements of peer assessments or upward assessments and manager assessments. That where the platform helps guide everyone through like a proper preparation, giving some guidance on do we want to give ourselves feedback on like cultural parameters, um, competencies, goals, um, open questions, just making sure everybody's actually prepared and thinking about that. And then really making sure that, that there is a well-prepared and hold, held after conversation um, where there's clarity on what's expected from me, where how do I do, what can I learn, what do I need to improve on? But then also making sure it's not just like an annual or biannual or maybe quarterly process, but in between there's regular check-ins, there's one-on-one meetings, there might be more sort of like instant feedback that's taking place in the company and making sure there's this really ecosystem and process around um, not just measuring, but actually enabling and improving performance and giving people also opportunities to develop at speed. Yeah, I think feedback is so important for learning and I can imagine from the different countries or 
companies in different countries that you see, there might be different feedback cultures that you have encountered. What have been, if you could recall some examples, like where would you see different feedback cultures also in, in the startup ecosystem? Do you have an example there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it, it matters or like it actually is dependent, I would say, I mean, yes, cultural parameters are important. So I think there's just some com like countries or cultures like Israelis, for example, I think are often very sort of like straightforward. Yeah, they're very direct. I love. <laughs> um, whereas maybe in other um, countries or contexts I studied in the UK, I think people are not as straightforward. But I think that's actually falling short of what we actually see because what we see is that it's very much defined from a company a company to company basis and I think the founders yeah. play an incredibly like key role in setting the stage um, for the culture and especially also the feedback and learning culture within the companies and I think a lot of companies say they want to challenge the status quo they want to be active with feedback because it's like basically rocket fuel for learning But what we see, I think, is some companies, it's much easier for people to give product-related or topic-related feedback, whereas you also need to sort of be able to, as a leader, for example, ask your team, like, what am I doing well? What do I need to improve on? And if I'm doing that as a leader, it actually triples down, right? Because I'm Absolutely. a role model. Other people Absolutely. get more open to actually asking for feedback, see, seeing feedback as an opportunity for growth rather than um, a threat. And yeah. I think that's the basis, like being able to build that growth-oriented culture, the growth-oriented mindset at the company, at the team, at the individual level is something that's ultimately incredibly important. I mean, what we actually do is there's, um, we actually hire for growth mindset as well internally. So we, we basically test through behavioral interviews if someone has more of a fixed or a growth mindset. So I think it possibly, or like not possibly, but I think it actually also already starts with your hiring process. And if you bring people onto the team throughout, throughout all levels, but more importantly, even for the people leaders, for the team leads, for the heads of the VPs, however you call them, to have that strong growth orientation and that ultimately then builds the culture of, of feedback and learning. And yeah, that accelerates your business. I think it really has to do with the whole topic of leading by example. If, if I'm a founder and if I show to my team, I'm open, I want to hear what you guys think, um, what you see that I might not see. I think, like you said, that trickles down. And what I found interesting from what you mentioned is with regards to giving feedback, there are different ways and you guys do it through a software. So um, that means it's, taking away a bit, I guess, the face-to-face -face component. And what are the effects that you see from giving feedback through a software in, in your clients? Yeah. So I think it's very important that we don't actually want people to just give feedback via software. So software is just like a very powerful tool to help companies to set up effective mechanisms, processes, structures, and actually build habits. But um, what we basically do is we make sure these conversations also happen. So, for example, when, when I spoke about the feedback processes I was describing, it's basically the platform guiding everyone throughout the company to go, or you could actually set up different processes for different parts of the company, but it's guiding a group of users to go through a certain um, process of preparing to have an organized feedback conversation. Um, such as like a biannual 360, for example. But it's very important 
that there still is like human interactions that are taking place. So it's, we actually optimize to make sure these interactions take place, but they also take place with a certain quality. There and is, that's where you help to set the guidelines or the foundation of how to give feedback. When I'm actually or guiding people through a process to then actually have um, a well-organized feedback conversation, for example, because what happens is in a lot of companies um, that get started and that maybe actually have an initial version of feedback process is they tell people like, please do your feedback conversations this or that way. But then it's actually, there's some leaders that are very diligent with it. Whereas others actually might just think, oh, it's, I, don't, I don't really care. Other things that are more important. Um, and then there's only part of the company that benefits from it. Whereas you actually want everyone to have that uh, sort of like process of learning and reflection. You might actually have people leave those teams and leave your company because they're unsatisfied with sort of like the opportunities for development they get. So it's a huge like driver of losing talent or on the opposite, if you do it well, it's a huge driver for talent retention. Um, so we make sure these conversations happen with a minimum quality throughout the company consistently and help people like nudging them and guiding them through the process. Um, and I think there's an interesting point I would actually love to touch upon um, um, linked to role modeling or being not afraid of actually yeah. asking your yeah. company what they think. And I think in final element, we didn't even touch so much upon, we spoke about OKRs already, we spoke about feedback processes where individuals get feedback. I think the third element um, is how do you manage organizational um, health and culture? So it's also about, so we help companies to also set up like pulse surveys, engagement surveys, any kind of sort of surveys where a company can give you um, sort of your employees can give you feedback as a company, as a leader, as a management team. And I think that's also something that's incredibly insightful. We've just run one again ourselves. And it's just so helpful to have like a data-driven understanding of what's going on and then being able to interact on it. And I think what we sometimes see is um, that there's some fear among like leadership teams um how oh, do i even want to do a survey or do i even want to do a 360 for myself i actually rather want to have the rest of the company to do it but i don't want to do it on topics that actually are related to me but it's basically not having data points then and having blind spots that you really actually want to have to yes. be able to act upon them and um, improve what you do, what the company does, and actually your business success. It's a bit like if you haven't been at the dentist for the past three years, <laughs> it might be fucking like scary experience to go to the dentist. If you go to the dentist for all your like biannual checkups, um, it's probably going to be fine. Yeah, I love that image of going to the dentist and kind of um, not ignoring what's there. I think if you have this mindset of it's really useful to know my blind spots, it will help me as a leader and it will help my company to be more successful. So that could be a driver for people to open up and, and look out for that feedback. What do you um, see in your own style of giving feedback and how far has that changed um, during your time at Leapsum or what have you been observing about yourself? So I would say I'm always learning like everyone else. Um, <laughs> I would say we have a very strong, um, I mean, feedback culture because I mean, it's, it's the essence of what we do. We don't just want to, we don't just see business opportunity here. We're actually driven by making impact on the space. And that's why we have a team and we actually hire for 
getting people onto the team that actually really care about this topic. And um, obviously they have a certain, uh, and we have a gross mindset. So I think we have a very high sort of like level of proficiency and culture around giving and requesting feedback. But for example, what we did to close the last year, we, right before Christmas, we brought in an external consultant and coach that we also, who we also recommend to our customers and did a feedback training with them. And while I think, most like the team is already so far with that there's always things that one realizes one can do better for example telling someone like you do this well and then not like because sometimes you have this sort of like impulse that you want to say but but like <laughs> that is one of these words you actually yeah. probably want to try to avoid when you're giving feedback so yeah like, the beautiful word of and might exactly. help <laughs> so, um I sometimes have to like catch myself like having a butt on the top of my tongue and just quickly changing that into an and before it comes out. So, I mean, I also like am constantly like practicing and learning and when sort of you're a bit maybe annoyed, you have to be really intentional and careful to then stay to like or maintain your good feedback practices that you learn and that you generally um, stick to, um, but to also stick to them in the situation when you're not or when you're frustrated. Um, yeah. So uh, definitely always still learning. <laughs> but that's very authentic, I think. And it's so important to also transparently show to your team as a leader, guys, you know, I'm a human too and I'm learning, and but this is important to me that we continue working on it. Yeah. And something that we actually do um, and that's very powerful is feedback on the feedback. So after having a feedback conversation, like, or just quickly asking like how was the experience for you anything that I could change for next time or maintain that was helpful so feedback on the feedback is actually a very powerful mechanism to make feedback processes better yeah cool I was going to ask you for a very uh, specific example so thanks for that let's get back to the topic of uh, feedback and um because it's it's interesting also in the uh, startup stereo podcast to get to know the founders and and the the people behind and what's been driving you and also get to know personally a bit around the topic of feedback. So I was wondering what was the the toughest kind of feedback that you ever had to give to someone. The toughest kind of feedback. Mm, I mean, I think. What I mean, that I, let me answer that a tiny bit differently. Mm -hmm. So, what I think makes Kaitan, my co founder, and me a really good founder team is that from the very early days onward, we have made it a habit of giving each other feedback. And I think we give each other a lot more like honest and candid feedback. Um, than probably I get from anyone else on the team. And I think we have a very active feedback culture, but I think there's still sometimes certain sort of like barriers to upward feedback, just a tiny bit. So I think we're just a lot more honest um, with each other. And I think this has helped us to have, because we, we, we knew each other for like, we've known each other roughly 10, day, 10 years, but we'd never worked together. So getting into like so you actually really need to build that trust and um go through maybe also like a smaller conflict here and there to really become like a really really strong team and i think always having been able to give each other candid feedback hard feedback um 
um, when you're annoyed with one another, which sometimes happens, right? It's like a really tight uh, relationship. Um, uh, and um, I think that has actually been something that is clearly not always like easy. It's not always easy to receive critical mm -hmm. feedback, but I think that has helped us to grow together as a really strong team very quickly and then sort of like maintain and move that relationship up to the sort of like further levels. But I would say, I mean, it certainly has helped me also like grow as a person. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that also like accounts for, for Kayata. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. I think the, the co-founder team to be very open aligned because that's where also, well, sometimes the, if, if that's clear and that's aligned and things can be said again, like the topic of feedback, it trickles down in the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And alignment comes from like, communicate talking effectively, <laughs> right um, disagreeing but making a decision and yeah. then actually going forward with that decision you took together and not being like oh and basically taking that decision then and moving forward together and not questioning it anymore or questioning yeah. and when you say you're going to question it again and i think this is something yeah, that has made us like a very strong team Talking about you as um, founder or co-founder and also CEO, um, what are things that you do outside of your company to help you, I don't know, to stay in check? Do you have, for example, a mentor um, who helps you to develop yourself or what are you doing for your own development there? So I unfortunately don't have like a mentor mentor. I'd love to have one, but somehow I haven't uh, found the right approach to, to getting like a mentor mentor. What we can make I, a shout out maybe through the podcast what kind of mentor exactly. would you be interested in lovely. I don't know. like i actually i think there's probably mentors for different aspects what i do have though is clearly like a lot of um very strong peer mentors so i think that's actually something that's been incredibly valuable um for me and um i'm like part of an entrepreneur's network um where there's great people and we sort of support each other um, I have on the top of that um, forum, we call it like a group of um, um, actually all tech founders here in Berlin. And we meet up every roughly like six to eight weeks and everybody brings forward topics that um, currently concern them. And then we just share experiences. Um, so that's um, on top of the entrepreneurs network, this um, entrepreneurs forum, the small mini forum group is really, really helpful. Um, I just have like good friends or acquaintances or um, could call them that I, and that I know I can call on certain topics. Like, how did you do that? Um, have you gone through that? Like, how did you tackle that? Which I think that's a really, really powerful tool for learning. I also started working with um, a business coach, which is really, really helpful because it gives you space and forces you to think certain contexts through. And she's, I'm um, also very experienced in, in the tech ecosystem. So that's also incredibly helpful. And on top of that, I mean, just reading, getting external like impulses um, is something that also like maintains and helps me to learn more on sort of like a content level. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, um, great to see the variety of sources that you tap into. And I hope that also for the listeners that can be inspiring just to see for yourself around you, what kind of diverse inputs can you get? So to get a bit outside of your bubble, like you said, the tech founder network or the scene in Berlin, but maybe also from completely different angles. Um, when it comes to um, 
let's say, cre creating a company culture. We talked a lot about how Leapsum also helps other companies staying healthy as an organization. Um, but for you as, a, as an entrepreneur, when you started uh, creating together with Kayatan the company, what was important to you to kind of put the seed of a culture in, in starting Leapsum? So we've been very diligent and slow therefore a bit slow in hiring and I think that's one of the big things where it starts so we from the pretty much from the first hire onwards we have had fairly structured behavioral interviews so what we currently do is we actually have technically even like a four-step interview process so we always have a short initial interview where we already test initial cultural parameters and functional sort of like fits. Um, we then have a second interview step where we have for every role a case study or, or coding test um, to basically have then the second interview fully focused on functional um, fit or expertise, um, um, either like experience or potential. Um, the third interview step um, then is a cultural interview where we test basically topic fit, like is this person actually passionate about this, this topic or purpose or like category we're trying to have an impact or we're having an impact and a very behavioral interview that tests things as growth mindset, resilience for sales roles, um, um, humbleness, like basically factors that are important for our culture. Um, so I think we're diverse on like nationality and backgrounds and stuff, but we are fairly like consistent on on cultural um, fits and then we have the force check um, and we make sure throughout the process both founders also may meet that person um, so it might sometimes be like a force interview to meet the second founder and then we do reference calls for every person and through that we ensure I think that we already have a strong foundation of bringing people around the, to the team that are culturally aligned um, we in the initial days I think had a strong but never really like written down understanding of our values. So last year we actually took um, some time to also, um, I mean, also like in a very lean way, but it's still in like a sort of somewhat procedural way, um, write down and clarify our values and our purpose for everyone in the team. Um, so we had like questionnaires where everybody filled out like what makes us us, what, make, what makes us successful. So we didn't like draft them, but we discovered them, what we already do. And um, Claire was our first hire and who's great and was also leading, among other things, these sort of like people initiatives. And um, she basically did that entire process and owned that and navigated that and moved that forward. We had a founder workshop after getting the input from the team. We then drafted them um, based on our initial findings. We communicated them back to the team, had a final iteration. And now we also have, like a, I think, a really clearly written out um, understanding of our purpose and values. And then we reuse them by linking, I mean, not just recruiting to them, but also internal feedback processes. We have um, two feedback um, processes within the, the probation period. We then have biannual feedback, and that's also to some extent also linked to our values. Um, and I think that has actually definitely set um, and defined our culture. And on top of that, transparency is important to us. It doesn't mean everything can be transparent all the time. Like, I would, for example, I would personally not make salaries transparent. Some other companies do that. But for example, it means having, giving everyone a clear understanding what's our strategy, what are our objectives for the year, for the quarter, 
where do we stand on on um, objectives? What are the initiatives teams are working on? So all of that is very transparent to give people understanding on where we stand. Yeah, great to see that um, in, I would say, early stages. I mean, you're not an early, early stage <laughs> startup at all, but that you, throughout the time, really take the, I always call it the team time. So really take team time to look at things like values as they are, a foundation for just like you said later on um, the recruiting processes or any kind of other people processes that you kind of check in with is it aligned with our values and the kind of company we want to have here yeah let's move to a completely different topic um, as you have been in the latest batch of the German accelerator and you've been in the New York uh, cohort so you've been spending a while in the US so it would be, of course, really interesting to know how was this experience for you? So it was a very, very good experience. Um, we, I think the difference is um, the conversations you can have when you're on site in New York are very different from just getting interest when you're in Berlin and making Zoom calls. So being in the ecosystem, and we use that to um, very extensively meet existing customers of ours there, to um, have conversations with potential new customers, um, but to also speak to expert multipliers um, to just in a very sort of systematic way get an understanding of, of the market there to basically um, tweak our go-to-market strategy or develop our go-to-market strategy for the US and actually um, um, increase our attraction in, in the US market. And just being there on the ground, speaking to people, going to events, um, um, having maybe also not just customer sort of um, conversation, but also like a bit wider conversations to understand um, the ecosystem in a bit more holistic way. It's just been incredibly helpful. And how far has the time um, away, or I mean, I guess your team was based in Berlin mainly during that time and you were in New York. How has the interaction with your team changed over that time you were there? So we basically split up the time in New York between the two founders um, because we wanted both of us to have a direct experience of the U.S. market. So that was the first thing that was important to us. And then we always wanted to have one founder in Berlin, though. So we've basically we've had a couple of days overlay in New York to have like a sort of like mid-quarter um, strategy workshop. Um, the I mean, I, I think the working with the team um, – because we're so like tech enabled and digital now workflows anyways, hasn't been too much of a challenge. Um, we have onboarded some new team members. I think that's a bit more of a challenge because they may, I think you build a different level of sort of like trust when you actually work with one another on site because you have different conversations, yeah. just like meeting at the coffee machine. Yeah, of course. Especially at the beginning when it's about so, yeah. getting to know each other. So I found it a bit harder with new hires. Um, I think that's also an interesting challenge companies now face with times like Corona. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I think that was sort of like the only one challenge. The other challenge personally for me was I like to actually get strategic things or work on more slightly more strategic things in the morning and then do meetings and calls in the afternoon because I just know I have more cognitive mental ability to get things done in the morning and if you're in New York and your team is in Berlin basically you do calls the entire morning and then 
things calmed down a bit in the afternoon. But so that was against my natural preference of how I like yeah. to work. Um, I mean, that was the only challenge put apart from that. No, I mean, I think especially Berlin, New York, with the time difference is something that's very well manageable. It's actually why we didn't go into San Francisco. To San Francisco okay. Even yeah, for, yeah it's a much I, longer time difference. I lived in San Francisco, like in the Bay Area, actually, for, for some months in the past. So I have much more of a network on the West Coast than the East Coast. But we actually decided against San Francisco because of the time difference. But Berlin, New York, I think you can easily like manage a team in both locations. And I think it's also much more effective in terms of spreading learnings from within the team. Was there anything um, that surprised you? You just mentioned the against your natural rhythm that maybe you became much more aware of. Was there anything else in the team, things that gotten that were much better than you had expected, for example, or other kind mm -hmm. of surprises during that time? Not really, because we, so one of our values in one way, we build our team is very much around ownership. So we just make it very sure that different projects, different make sures, as we call them, are distributed clearly among um, the team. So we have a pretty sort of like self-sufficient team and we have a great team of excellent people. Um, so no, I mean, surprises. But then otherwise, let's uh, turn the question around so others can learn from uh, your case that seemed to run really well. What would you say needs to be put in place um, for a team to be spread across different time zones for a certain amount of time or possibly always um, to really make sure that the team is functioning and ineffective? I mean, I think actually the things that are important also for non-distributed teams, but they probably become even more um, important for distributed teams. So I think the first one is clarity and transparency and accountability um, on sort of like the top level objectives. What are the company objectives? What do we want to achieve this year on the quarterly objectives? What is every team um, um, basically accountable for in a specific quarter? who's owning which initiatives that are linked to that, having transparency on where initiatives stand, what is still in the backlog, what's currently being worked on, where, the, where are there any blockers, um, what's been finished, um, who needs to possibly uh, give input on certain things, um, having that clarity, having clearly defined um, meetings or routines or habits around how do we learn from one another. So for example, in customer success and sales, We have twice per week, just a very short half an hour lessons learned in peer mentoring meeting, we call it. People have to submit their topics before the meetings. That could be a challenging situation I faced with a customer. That could be um, a new question that came up. That could be a question, how do I actually explain or pitch the value of a specific new feature in, a, in an effective way? And bringing these topics onto the agenda beforehand. Topics should always be on an agenda before the meeting starts um having making sure everybody comes to the meeting in time whether it's virtually or in person that we have the clear agenda we follow the agenda we go through that um in the learning sessions we often do like brief brainstorming role plays learnings always have to be documented we work with notion which i love for um both tracking initiatives um and internal learnings And um, having this sort of mixture of clarity, of accountability, of objectives, um, of sort of meeting structures. And we do actually very little meetings, but then always have effectiveness in the meetings we have. Um, and always having that clear ownership, who's doing what by when. 
Um, I think that is important for teams that are in one space, but it's probably even more important for distributed teams. Yeah. And especially in times of Corona, like right now, to have this clarity, I think will help teams, um, yeah, to come out well out of this uh, turbulent times. Yeah. Maybe we... one, one point that yeah, actually sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking because that last uh, sentence provoked that or the thought. Um, so something we've seen, we actually get a lot of our customers asking us for um, input on now it's sort of crazy corona times is it's probably more important to val uh, to measure um, team happiness or team um, like how's everyone actually doing do people have what they need to be effective in their job still um, in a more distributed setting so we obviously have a lot of our customers doing health surveys or quarterly surveys anyways to measure organizational health But now when everybody, I mean, when you have two locations and maybe the management is only in one location um, or now you have the entire team fully like, remote, um, I think it becomes even more important to survey the team and to have an understanding of where does everything stand um, and sort of like in, a, in an easy data-based way, see if things are going moving to the wrong direction. So we're actually currently developing a, a specific survey for um for companies to measure the impact of this sort of like much more remote work and um, crisis reaction. Yeah, that's, I guess, both important on the human side, really like the human touch, how are you doing? And on the, do I have everything, all the tools I need in order to stay effective and support? Yeah, yeah. yeah great that you're supporting as well. I think we all have to, or we can all do our part in this corona Yeah. Times. The other thing we actually we just that is, it's actually a coincidence, but we just launched um, our sixth um, module, which is uh, personalized learning, and it's basically optimized for onboarding and learning use cases. And now at times of remote onboarding, that's also something that is very effective because I can set up with the system specific onboarding paths or learning paths, attribute them to a specific group of users, and they're basically being guided by the platform through a certain learning path, through certain learning content. Um, and uh, we've now seen that that's really something that might actually support customers or that will support customers with this whole remote onboarding challenge where we don't actually know how long this is going to last. Moving from the situation right now to a big leap into the future and um, coming towards the end of the podcast of um, looking at learning, looking at companies, um, their, like you call it, the organizational health. Um, where do you see companies in 10 years from now with regards to those topics? So I'm pretty, like, I'm very much convinced that. Every company with sort of 50 to 100 employees um, and more will implement people enablement system um, or mechanisms in the um, in the next probably already five years, because there's like three very very distinct drivers for that. The first one is the complexity of work is um, is rising, so we have more agile, complex project projects. Um, um, oriented work structures where classical sort of command and control um, systems just actually don't work as effectively anymore. So we need to have systems where 
that cater to this distributed ownership, transparency, et cetera. So I think people enablement becomes important as more people need to self-manage, self-lead, um, and the role of leadership changes more to sort of like a coaching, um, enabling leadership. So that's the first trend. The second one was with much more millennials in the workspace um, that are just incredibly more demanding when it comes to opportunities to develop and to um, have sort of personalized learning delivered to them. And the third element is, and I think we're completely underestimating that one, is we have a huge reskilling and upskilling challenge ahead of us as the speed of technological change ultimately um, leads us to having to learn at a speed that we're not used to in the workspace. Like in the past, we just sort of like we're living off our previous learnings from previous sort of education um, that we did in our sort of like 20s. And these three drivers will massively force companies to invest into the space and deliver their own sort of toolkits of people enablement and personalized learning. And I think personalized, why, why do I speak of personalized? Because I think we will have, see a lot more flexibility in systems, especially around learning. We'll see technology enabling us to personalize um, learning at, an, uh, at a completely new scale or even like things that might look like mentoring or coaching. And in the past, these, um, a lot of these toolkits from the People Enablement Toolkit were just available to high potentials because they were expensive. Um, they were done by humans. But now with technology, you can actually provide this experience to people at scale in a highly personalized way or in a flexible way to companies. A bit of like the democratization also, not just the top level get to do the cool development uh, stuff, but everyone in companies. Yeah. And we see technology doing that in all different like ways of life or areas of life, right? democratizing certain things because all of a sudden they can be done um, at low cost at scale. Coming to the end of the podcast, we have two questions that we ask all the guests and it's about advice. Um, and number one is, what's the best, uh, worst advice you anyone has ever said to you? Ah, hard one. Um, so the worst advice... Um, I was ready to quit my job... And got the advice actually from my dad that I shouldn't quit my job without knowing what to do next because I wanted to know new. I mean, actually, I quit my job twice. Um, that was like objectively an amazing job without knowing exactly what I wanted to do next. And um, the worst advice was by my dad <laughs> that I really shouldn't, like, you cannot just quit a great job without knowing what to do next. Um, I then actually didn't quit at first. And then I just, made the decision to quit it and didn't tell my dad before I had actually quit the job because I was afraid he would try to talk me out of it again. So that might actually be worst advice. Best advice. I mean, there's so much good advice one gets from people or one can learn from peers. It's actually hard to pinpoint one best advice. Mm, maybe from the best advices you got, which one would you give to your younger self? Mm. To quit jobs for it faster? I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to, um, to, yeah, just 
go out and do things and try things and um, be bold about that. I mean, it's a terrible word and it's, it's such a buzzword, but to actually just do things and not wait for, um, actually, yeah, that, that clarifies it a bit. I think there's always, especially I think among Germans, a risk to think, well, there's all these things you need to learn and master first before you can do something. But I think that's like, that's the wrong approach. I think most things you learn while doing and you don't necessarily have to have learned them to start doing. So I think that's probably just actually starting and learning on the way and being smart, obviously, about learning on the way. That's probably something um, that I maybe should have, I would give as advice to myself. Great. My well, own. thank you so much, Jenny, for all the input, the practical examples, and for being our very first guest. Well, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> Looking forward to the first episodes. Yes. Thank you for plugging in to the sounds of founders, innovators, and change makers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Stereo, powered by German Accelerator. We would love to hear your feedback to improve the experience for you over the next episodes, and we hope you're as excited as we are for more. If you want to find out more about German Accelerator, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, and check out our website, germanaccelerator.com. <laughs> <laughs>